Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom. It's good to be back in the Word today, and I think before the session is over, we're going to see incredibly how important it is to stay in the Word. Today, in terms of the footsteps, I I think the intensity of trouble is increasing at this time, and there's a vital thing you can put in your toolkit, and that's your understanding of prayer. There's a reason why you have been called into the word at this time. And there's a reason why you're, as a, as a people, you're probably much more immersed into the word than maybe what we've seen since the first century. People who had no rational reason, really, to begin investigating the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, had no rational reason to start eating kosher or to observe the biblical feast days. And nevertheless, here we are. And so understanding that we have been brought to such a miraculous place, it's important for us to be strong enough to stand in the generation we have been called in. And so when when great things happen in a generation, it also means that the struggles are going to be very mighty in that generation. So we want to put a couple of things in your toolkit here in terms of prayer. And that's just understanding how prayer works and understanding that, that prayer is not always a I would call it a standalone. There's two types of prayer that we want to look at. One is important. Don't ever forget that is available to you. The other type of prayer is going to incorporate what you've been learning in the Word. It it teaches us the importance of corporate prayer because the feasts center around corporate prayer because our tribulations are brought to conclusion with corporate prayer. So that tells you right now, if we feel like we're in the midst of a tribulation, then how will eventually this tribulation be concluded? The pattern of scripture is that it's going to be concluded with corporate prayer when Israel unites as one. So let's take a little look here at our working verse, which is going to be Song of Songs 214, and it's going to have a great context with the Torah portion, because remember, we're in Exodus, We're talking about how the Israelites are delivered out of Egypt. And this particular verse is seen as set in that location, set in that tribulation, set in that that particular circumstance. So the, the verse is, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding place of the mountain pathway, let me see how you look. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is pleasant. And you look delightful. So moving forward, of course, traditionally, they're going to take this particular prophecy in the Song of Songs, and they're going to put it in particular settings of Israelite history. They usually begin, sometimes they'll go back to the garden, but uh, usually they will begin with the exodus from Egypt. And it's from this verse along with the pattern of the exodus from Egypt that really culminates in this week's Torah portion, you know, where it looks like they're trapped at the Sea of Reeds. As it turns out, they're not trapped at all. It is Egypt who is trapped. 
So from this, there's two kinds of prayer that are identified. The first kind of prayer is going to be this spontaneous cry for salvation. It's going to be when you're in trouble. It's going to be when there's, there's literally nowhere else to turn. Medicine can't help you. Politics can't help you. Government can't help you. Soldiers can't help you. There's just no way out. Counseling maybe can't help you. Maybe it's too gone for that. There, there might be a situation you just feel like, I'm in a place where I'm just too far gone for any sort of help here, unless the Holy One helps me. And so we, we get into those situations, and this is when we will cry out for salvation. Uh, even coming to Yeshua requires you to cry out with this kind of prayer, because that's that moment when you understand you can't save yourself. That's the moment when you understand you can't resurrect yourself. And in that acknowledgement that with the blood of Yeshua, that you can be saved, that you can be resurrected, you cry out and he hears your prayer. So these sorts of prayers, yes, he does hear. Gail in our, in our congregation today pointed out, he even hears us when we grumble. So it's not that he doesn't hear us. Now, of course, we don't want to be a, a grumbling prayer person, but it's better to take you know, take it to him than to get into a deeper sin, maybe of gossip or slander and so forth. But we do. We take our cares to him because it says he cares for us. He doesn't probably care for a lot of whininess, but he knows when we are genuinely in a hard spot and we must have his help in that particular place. The other type of prayer is a planned time of communication. And you say, well, where is that in the Torah portion? Well, we're, we're going to get there. The, the idea is eventually if we were to fast forward the tape, we would look in on Daniel and we would see that Daniel was praying according to planned times of prayer. And he was even praying in a particular direction. When he was in exile, he would always turn toward Jerusalem. And that's where we get that custom today. When we're doing daily prayers, we'll turn toward Jerusalem. And in those planned daily prayers, we have a system of ongoing communication. How is that different from the first kind of prayer? Well, let's say it's a prayer of salvation. Maybe you have reached that point where you say, well, my, my life is a wreck. And apart from divine help, it will continue to be a wreck. I can't resurrect myself either from the dead or this present situation. And so you cry out. You say, Yeshua, be my savior. Right. So up to that point, there may have been very little communication between you and the Holy One. Up to that point, you're not really thinking about spending time in his presence. In fact, you would probably rather spend less time thinking about him, knowing that there, there is an accountability there ultimately. So the two different kinds of prayer fit different needs. And the important thing to remember, because we are going to talk about how this second kind of prayer is so important. It's important for us to know, and it's important for your children to know, anybody you care about, that you're concerned about their salvation, that you're concerned about the condition of their soul. Maybe they've been saved in the past, but they're living like the devil now. If there's anybody in your family that, that concerns you, then go back and be sure. It's okay, you know, if, if they think you're nagging, if you're, they think you're nosy or whatever, make sure they understand that no matter where they, they find themselves, if, if they find themselves again in the basement of life and they realize there's no place to go but up, 
remind them they can always call upon the name of Adonai. They can call upon Yeshua, even with the last breath. Make sure that's embedded in their consciousness, just in case, because none of us knows that moment when we're going to cross over. And so he will hear this kind of prayer. He's not going to come back and say, well, you know, I I gave you this many years and you never wanted anything from me except to be left alone. And now you want to cry to me for salvation? Well, it doesn't mean they'll get the same reward or responsibilities in the kingdom as someone else. But if they will call on his name, they can be saved. Their soul can be saved. So make sure they know about this kind of prayer. The second kind of prayer, though, that's that's where we want to spend some time, because here's the pattern. It shows us how sometimes a cry of salvation, we, we need to outgrow depending upon the first kind of prayer. We need to quit depending upon the, the fact that we know we're probably going to get ourselves in trouble because we're undisciplined. We're not really a disciple. We might be saved, but we're undisciplined. Disciple and discipline, got the same root word there. So we've never bothered to be a disciple of Yeshua, and therefore we are not disciplined as believers. Undisciplined believers end up in trouble repeatedly. And so they find themselves crying out. They will be entrapped by their own souls. So back in the Torah portion, Shemot, Exodus 22:23 says, during those many days, It happened that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the work, and they cried out. Their outcry, because of the work, went up to God. Immediately, God heard their moaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. So it's like he says, finally, they cry out to me. Finally, they get off Facebook. Finally, they get off Twitter. Finally, they get off Instagram or whatever it's called. Finally, they they quit the phone ministry. Finally, they cry out to me because I'm the one who can save them. Their government's not going to save them. Their religious leaders aren't saving them. Their doctors aren't saving them. There's nobody there to save them. Once they realize that and quit crying out to the wrong people, when they cry out to the Holy One, he can actually hear, believe it or not. He invented ears, and he can hear when we get ourselves into a fix and we finally, you know, quit running everywhere else for salvation and we, we cry out to him and say, this hurts. <laughs> Father, this really hurts. How did I get here? Please save me. However you want to save me is fine with me, but you must save me because I have no other, I have nowhere else to go. I have no one else. There's only you. And it says, when they cried out like this, when they prayed like this, immediately God heard their moaning and he remembered. And so what happens, he begins to activate salvation. And that's the thing to remember about a prayer. So many times we think, what's the point of praying? You know, we, we don't see anything happening. Well, Adam and Eve were told the in the day that they ate of the fruit, they would surely die. Well, they eat the fruit and it doesn't look like they die. But you know what happened? It began the process, the process of dying. So when we think about prayer, sometimes we don't see the answer immediately. 
but the the mechanisms start to move the the heavenly machinery begins to move and the process of the answer begins to go in motion it may be that he's just been waiting to put these things in motion for the time we would cry out and pray to him instead of thinking well i can fix it new legislation can fix it a new leader can fix it. None of those things at some point we have to realize they're not going to fix what's wrong. It's only going to be the Holy One. And so in this present tribulation we find ourselves in, we have to say that the, the problems are so intertwined and entangled with one another at this point. There's really only one person who can save us. And that's the one who created us, because ultimately he's the one pushing these buttons. What's happening here? He's allowing these things to happen, so they will cry out to him. And when they cry out to him, he begins this mechanism that will be designed to destroy every one of these systems that has been oppressing them. And so the, the, the message here is you can, you can rail against all these things that are causing the discomfort. But he's saying, cry out to me. The, this whole thing was to bring you to repentance. And so I could re, uh, destroy the one who's trying to destroy you. That's the first kind of prayer. The other type of prayer, prayer number two. Let's see what's behind this door. It's, it's a different kind of prayer. It's still prayer. And prayer number one, we were in big trouble. We didn't have anywhere else to turn. and. The, the pattern here is they prayed, they were delivered from Egypt, they leave Egypt, and all of a sudden, in the Torah portion, Pharaoh and his, far, his army start pursuing them. It says, Adonai hardens his heart. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't say, well, Pharaoh changed his mind. It says, Adonai hardened his heart to go after them. He had an active role in this, not that Pharaoh hadn't already hardened his heart. It was just, you know, it's measure against measure. What you think you're going to do to the Holy One, he'll end up doing to you. You want to throw baby boys into the Nile, he'll throw your soldiers into the Sea of Reeds. It's, it's fine. But Pharaoh and his army pursue him. They're hemmed in. They can't get down across the, the Sea of Reeds. It says they were very frightened in Exodus 14.10. The children of Israel cried out to Hashem. This is from the art school version. It says, immediately on that day, Hashem saved Israel from the hand of Egypt. Okay, and that's uh, verse 30. So we see what happens. They cried out in Egypt for deliverer, and they get one. And then it doesn't really say anything about them crying out anymore. It, it's, it's pretty silent. And so they get into another pinch here, and they cry out again. And it says immediately, he saves them. What's the lesson? Well, apparently the lesson is he doesn't want us to cry out only when we're in trouble. He doesn't want to hear from us only when we have nowhere else to turn. He would love it if we would just be in his presence day after day after day. If we would come to him in prayer when we had no special need, we always have needs, but in terms of, oh my goodness, they're about to kill us. That's a pretty important prayer. Not every day is going to be, oh my goodness, you know, the chariots are back there. They're trying to kill us. Every other day, it's, 
it's going to be the type of prayer that maybe we have to push ourselves to pray because there is nothing that's pushing us to pray. And they say, from this example, we can conclude that the Holy One wants to hear their voice. And he wants to hear it more than when we get in big trouble. That's the two types of prayers. He says, you know, my dove in the crannies of the rock, I want to hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. It's very beautiful to me. So the more that you pray, the more he gets to hear your sweet voice. And think how much sweeter the voice is. You know, we know lots of people um, who love to be turned to when people are needy. It makes them feel really important. And, you know, I don't know if you remember on uh, Mayberry on the Andrew Griffith show, they had a, a program where Aunt B, she was always overworked and, and complaining and so forth about the overwork. Well, they thought they would help her out and relieve her of some of the work. And it just devastated her because then she didn't feel needed. Okay, well, then that's not a healthy kind of uh, relationship. People love us. They should love us. The people who love us should love us, even when we're not a producer. They should love us even when we're not a clickable resource. See, we've kind of gotten spoiled nowadays. We can click on something, and before you know it, there's something you wanted right on your doorstep and nice packaging. There's white glove service. They'll bring it in. They'll unpack it. They'll set it up and dust it and polish it to your specifications. And so we begin to see other human beings as producers. And... Some of them will put up with that. Mom might put up with that. Dad might put up with that. But you probably won't have very many friends that want to be your friend if you only turn to them when you need something from them. And the Holy One, he will love you if you only turn to him when you need something. But he would also love it if you would turn to him when there's not this pressing need, when you just wanted to be with him. You know, it's like when your kids are off in college and you only hear from them when they need more money. Well, what if they just called you and said, hey, mom or hey, dad, how are you? I was thinking of you today. I was missing you today. Wouldn't that just melt your heart? It's not that you don't want to help them out and send them an extra 50 bucks and their allowance. But when they just call to say, I love you and I'm thinking about you. That's a deeper relationship. You're not just a producer. You actually feel that relationship, that they're grateful that you are their parent, and they are grateful for that relationship. This is the second kind of prayer. This can also sustain us through tribulation as we begin to hear the footsteps of Messiah. If we have not made a habit of prayer type number two, We will find ourselves turning more and more to prayer type number one. That's not a very deep relationship. We're just trying to click on the Holy One and say, you know, save me right here. But, you know, I'm not really interested in investing a lot of time, you know, getting to know you, getting to love you or whatever the song says. I just kind of want to go on my merry way. And if I get in a jam, I'll call you. But otherwise, just butt out of my life. With daily prayer, We let him know that that we don't want him to butt out of our lives. We don't want to wait until we get ourselves into a jam. We just want to stand in his presence and enjoy his presence. Because there is something about daily prayer, continuous daily prayer, that does make a difference 
and how severe tribulation will feel. If you're one of these cry out only when I'm in trouble, you're going to feel the severity of tribulation much more acutely. If you have this habit of coming into his presence in prayer daily, and I'm going to make a specific recommendation on how, how you can augment that time. If you have that habit, then I think the pressures of the tribulation are going to be much less acute. It's, it's going to be much less painful because you've prepared in a specific way. Because you have, it's like Yeshua said, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who come to me and they'll say, you know, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't stay in my presence. All you wanted was a savior. You didn't want to be my disciple. You didn't achieve that intimacy with me. And so that's the danger of relying on prayer type number one. Um, we're being very discourteous when we, th we think of calling on the Holy One to rescue us when we've made no effort at all, especially if we're already saved and we just, you know, what they used to call it in the church, backsliding. If, if we have not walked in that salvation and sought his presence day after day, um, you don't like it when people only call you when they need something. And it's, it's not deepening your relationship. And in fact, in the, the internet age, we've lost our manners. We really have. We've lost our manners. And I know this happens to me. I bet it happens to you too. You might get an email from somebody you don't even know. Uh, maybe they know who you are. They knew enough to, to send you an email or a message, but you don't know who they are. And they don't even bother to say, hello, my name is, to, to let you know what their relationship is to you. Or maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's, you know, and text messages are different with family. It seems like the closer we are with family, the less we need the formalities. But still, it never hurts with family to, to start out and say, hey, how have you been doing? How's your day been? Because a lot of times they just don't really care. They're just wanting you to do something for them, provide something for them. They've turned the person into the object. They, they're, they're just clicking you. So you'll produce what it is they want with a minimum of effort. Um, that's fine. You know, if you're conducting business and you're both on that page that day, but we're human beings. And if we can understand how to work on our relationships with one, one another as human beings, um, how to have a, a presence with one another without it only being what you can do for me today. What can you provide for me today? If there's truly a give and take in that relationship. I mean, so every time I talk to you, I'm not asking you for something. It might be, hey, hey let me go buy you a cup of coffee. You know, uh, send you a, a, something in the mail, send you a card. I mean, I love handwritten letters, love them. Because I don't think 90% of the, the correspondence that goes through the internet today would ever happen if people still had to handwrite it. They would definitely rethink some of the stuff they're posting on the internet because they would have time to process it. So we're not having really healthy communication. 
And I think those those bad habits we've picked up because of the internet, often that can carry on into our prayer life, where you know it becomes much more business-like. We just want to click on him and, and have him produce or, or check the boxes off. You know, that's still not being in his presence. That's still not enjoying just being there with him for the conversation. Uh, it's still either production-based or obligation-based. Well, who wants to be with somebody that is only there out of obligation? It's like having a hired person. You know, it's if you hire somebody to come help you work in your yard, they come to work not to be your buddy. And so for them, it's just a job and it pays and they'll talk to you as much as you want to talk. They're on your dime. But it's, it's not the same. And so we don't want to get into the the checking off boxes. Well, I did my prayers today, uh, or I'm only going to go pray when I need something. He wants you to be with him, and he's provided a way for us to be with him. And it goes back to the definition of prayer itself. In prayer, in Hebrew, prayer is lehit palel. Lehit palel. It's a reflexive verb which means um, you act upon yourself, right? So, lahit palel means to judge one's self. It doesn't sound very prayer-like, but that's the exact definition of prayer, to judge one's self. You can see then how the first kind of prayer, just calling out for help, there's minimal judgment. Really, the only judgment that's going on is, hmm, I judge, I can't get myself out of this. But the second kind of prayer gives you the opportunity to expand upon the very definition of prayer, to judge yourself. As you go to him in prayer, it's not entirely a spontaneous, I need, I want. Uh, it's not only praise and worship, it also includes praying his word back to him. Because remember, the point of coming into the prayer is to judge yourself actively. So you're going to compare your thoughts and behaviors against it as written, or you're going to contrast your thoughts and behaviors against it is written, because that's the image of Elohim. This is, we find this in his word, right? So when I go to him in prayer, one important element of prayer should always be that I am comparing myself to his measurement, to his standard, it is written. That's how Yeshua got himself out of of the wilderness, with the adversary. He just kept saying, it is written, it is written. It is written is a form of prayer because it is judging yourself. It's measuring yourself against the word that never changes. So you say, well, I don't quite understand how that fits into prayer. Well, remember when you brought an offering Back in the times of the temple or the tabernacle, one of the purposes we talked about of, of bringing that sacrifice, it was to subdue your soul, 
the desiring soul, and to amplify the spirit of intelligence. Now, not your IQ. We might qualify it as your spiritual IQ, but it's this type of intelligence was intelligence was called nefesh hasichlit, and that was the sense of prudent information gathering. It's it's not chokhmah, which is the spirit of wisdom. Instead, it's it's a very patient process. It's not instinctual. It has little to do with your IQ. Instead, it has to do with patience. Remember, this was the type of intelligence that Adam and Eve thought they could acquire through eating the fruit. Weirdly, they're seeking a shortcut to spirituality when we're told, you know, the, the very essence here of sikhlit is that it, it's it's this real patient information gathering process. Like you would gather intel on something before you make a decision. And so this is what an offering did. And, and of course, prayer now takes the place of the sacrifices in the temple service. So as you're there in prayer, you're bringing your own soul, you're sacrificing your own soul in order to make yourself a much more patient person in terms of your behavior and your thoughts. So many times we make decisions just like that. We see a post somewhere, we see an email somewhere, and before we really even think through what we've read, we're, we're kind of like, you know, the, the dog, you're like squirrel, you could be talking to him one second and then his attention's over here on a squirrel. It's because we are so distracted that often what we're reading is really not in the author's intent at all, or it's out of context whatsoever. And if we took a few extra minutes, we've seen that in the national news a lot recently, where they just took one little thing and they ran with it. They didn't do intelligence gathering on the issue. And then they have to go back and retract and they're sued and, and they have to backtrack and issue these, these corrections and so forth. We know what, if you would just shut up and gather the information patiently, that's when you're operating in this nefesh asichlit. This is what makes your prayer much more meaningful because then it's a true sacrifice. You're, you're sacrificing the animalistic squirrel sort of mentality and what you hope will emerge from that altar because it is a sacrifice to be patient and not get now uh, what you want. Instead, I mean, it's just like when you get into the Torah, you know, we've got a new puppy and I've been watching him. It's like everything is new to him. The closet is new, shoes are new, the yard is new, landscaping is new, the gutters are new, um, chairs are new, laundry is new, everything is new to him. He has to put his mouth or his nose on everything in the house, inside and outside. And we're kind of like that. When we first fall in love with the word, we have to stick our mouth and our nose on everything. What is this? What is this? What does this do? Is this for me? Can I have it? Can I chew on it? And that's a beautiful stage of development, but you can't say a puppy your whole life. As this puppy gets older, he gets better. 
at minding his own business and doing dog things and staying out of closets and landscaping and gutters, <laughs> uh, those sorts of things. He learns what his business is, and he knows it's different from our business. This is our growth as a believer. It's through this process of prayer and measuring ourselves against his word that every day we will have something to work on. Every day we will make sacrifices. And it's through patience. We'll say, you know what? As much as I want to know about this topic, as much as this looks like Disneyland to me, I probably haven't attained a level of maturity to be ready to study that topic yet. Everybody wants to get in on the mysteria. What are these giants? Were there dinosaurs? Uh, you know, who were the sons of God? We, we, you know, were there aliens? There's, there's things that we want to dive into. We want to understand everything in the book of Revelation before we read the Torah. And these things take decades of intelligent information gathering, building your foundations so that you're not running from topic to topic by animal instinct. Instead, you are patiently acquiring the, the procedural it is written because each of these temptations, the adversary offered Yeshua in the wilderness was a shortcut. And they're really in, the, in spiritual sacrifice. There's no shortcut here. You have to go through it. And so this is what daily prayer teaches us. There's no shortcuts, none whatsoever. We have to go according to his learning plan, right? For each of us, we have an individualized education plan. And if we try to run faster than that, we're going to leave some gaps in our education. We're going to make some mistakes. How do we avoid it? In prayer each day, we judge ourselves according to the word. Now, how do we do that? Um, I think it goes back again to James 1, 1 through 4. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who were dispersed abroad. You consider yourself one of those 12 tribes? Then this is to you. He says, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This endurance, this patience that he's talking about, it's the same thing. It's this nefesh hasichlit. You have to be able to go in prayer each day. You have to make these altar sacrifices of prayer in order to gain the patience. And it's not that you're going to be, you know, 100% perfect. You're going to be like Abraham. He was perfect. Uh, that meant he was growing in his faith. And James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. See, how are you going to judge yourself in prayer if you're only reading it and running after the latest insights, but you're not applying what you know, if you're not doing what you know. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. See, he didn't have the patience. When you, when you study the word with patience and you develop that daily prayer life, then it's really difficult to forget what kind of person you are in Messiah. He says, but one who has looked intently at the perfect Torah, the Torah of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. What is he saying? You have to continue in it. He says, if you want to enjoy the blessings, then you're going to have to do more than cry out when you're in a bind. You need to continue in the Torah. And this is going to bring a blessing. And the blessing is I won't be getting myself into jams so much <laughs> because I know what the word says about that. Once I know what the word says about that and I measure myself against it, then I know, okay, I must obey that word. And if I obey that word, I'm automatically going to enjoy a blessing because I won't get into the consequences. The word says, go with that. Does that make sense? You, you don't do nearly as much of prayer number one if you make a habit of prayer number two, because you know what the word says about these things. And so he says in uh, 5.13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. Are you suffering? Are you in tribulation? You must pray. There's no other way. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. Then the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So you see the two kinds of prayer that, that James has put into this very small passage, really. But he has covered all sorts of things concerning prayer in a time of tribulation, in a time when you're sick and you need healing, uh, in a time when you're in need of repentance. He, he starts off, are you suffering? Pray. He doesn't first say, go to somebody else. First, he says, you pray. What's wrong? You pray. You cry out. You do prayer number one. Pray. And then he goes on, he, he actually gives a, another type of prayer, which is singing praises. That's a type of prayer. He says, what if you're sick? Well, this, when you get into corporate prayer, that's when you take it from, yes, prayer number one, I'm still sick. Then let's move to prayer number two. Because this matter of staying in the presence, this is what the elders of a congregation are supposed to do. When they oversee 
the congregation, they make sure that the, the corporate prayers are being offered every Shabbat, every high holy day. And so you call for these people and they are to pray over you. That means you have a corporate identity. And it even talks about if he has committed sins. That's why you would call for the elders, because the elders are skilled in this Torah of Liberty that James is talking about. And they might be able to talk to you, not just pray, not just lay hands on you so that you can go on making these mistakes and be healed so that you can do them more. Hopefully they can listen to you and say, oh, why do you think this is going on? Sometimes it's just a fallen world and you didn't do one thing to, to merit this illness. Yeshua talks about that. It rains on the just and the unjust. But sometimes it is directly connected to a particular sin. And if they can talk to you about that and say, hmm, this is a, an area in your life where you're, you're consistently deviating from the word, let's go ahead and let's repair this. Let's repent of this and send it up with the prayer of faith. And it could be that two things are fixed at one time because it says it will be forgiven him. And so you're confessing your sins to one another. This is, you know, when you took a sacrifice to the temple, everybody knew you'd sinned. You have to lay your hands on the head of this animal. So again, your prayer life does involve confessing your sins. And it says pray for one another so that you may be healed. It means come into a corporate body. There's some prayers that you need to offer in public. Now, it's not to be seen. That's not the point of it. That would be wrong. But corporate prayer is very much a part of our prayer life. It's part of prayer number two, because these prayers occur on a consistent basis. You're going to have Shabbat prayers. You're going to have special prayers for the high holy days. And these are based on the services of the temple. The temple service went on day after day after day with no variation. The same prayers were prayed, the same things were said over the sacrifices, the same services were offered, and it was not vain repetition. So there's some aspect of our prayer that is not spontaneous. It might feel scripted, especially to our, our freedom-loving Western mind, but if that's the only type of prayer you're praying, a spontaneous prayer, then you might be actually pretty miserable in the temple because there was a set service for daily prayers, Shabbat prayers, high holiday, high holiday prayers. And so fitting into that, that corporate body is a component of prayer life that if it's missing, again, uh, you might find yourself having to use prayer one, number one more often than you wanted to, because in that corporate body, again, judging yourself is part of the context. He says, confess your sins to one another. When would you do that, especially Yom Kippur? Uh, there's, there's these appointed times so that we can practice exactly what James is saying here. And, uh, of course, Elijah. He says, Elijah was just like us. But when he prayed that it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. And when he prayed again, it did rain. He's saying, if, if we pray as a righteous person, then things really do happen. And it's not that it's our righteousness that makes it happen. 
It's that we have learned how to be obedient to Yeshua's righteousness. That's what brings it about. We can't know anything about Yeshua's righteousness if we don't know the word. If we can't say like Yeshua, it is written, then how can we pray as a righteous person and expect anything to happen? Prayers are based on it is written. And I can sum this whole thing up, you know, as far as your your trib tools, uh, your plague tools, your famine tools, your sword tools, uh, all these tools right here. Let this crystallize in your mind because there are going to be times when you're going to be very alone. It doesn't mean that you can't stand in the very presence of Adonai. You can do it no matter where you are. If Paul and Silas can sing in prison, so can we. Not that I'm volunteering. Wherever you are, if you know that you are on mission, then your daily prayer can be heard. So as the footsteps of Messiah get closer and times get tougher, stay in his presence, incorporate daily prayer. And and the way that you're going to strengthen these prayers that James is talking about, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. In order to become that effective self-judger, in order to become an effective prayer, then you're going to have to learn how to study the word. If you don't learn to study the word, how will you judge yourself? You've, You've missed the whole point of prayer. The whole point of prayer, judge yourself. (coughs) Excuse me. So you can stand in his presence, having studied the word. And as you stand in his presence, you'll automatically start measuring yourself against it is written. And it's going to make those prayers more fruitful. Because we're going to go back out into the world. We're into our homes, and having judged ourselves, we will become more fruitful because staying in that presence and not being afraid to judge ourselves. Most of us are afraid. We're afraid to look at ourselves. We, we do all sorts of mental and emotional acrobatics to prevent ourselves from seeing ourselves because we know that self can't measure up against it is written. We know we're not perfect. What we have to do, if we're going to go forward with courage at a time like this, if we are going to be those uh, who overcome in a time of plague and famine and, and war and so forth, if we are going to be those who go forward instead of backward, then we are going to have to get over the fear of seeing ourselves as we are. No more cheating in prayer, going into in prayer, going into prayer and admitting where you've fallen short. That's where the change begins. Now the Holy Spirit can come in and begin working. That's what the altar sacrifice was all about. It represented the change you hoped would occur in you by your admitting publicly, bringing the sacrifice. Everybody can see you. 
this is what I did, or this is what I need to change inside of me. And not being ashamed to do it, being more ashamed not to do it than to publicly confess your sin by bringing an offering. So in prayer, think of how much more compassionate that is. If, if we can bring that, that place where we say, I mess up right here. And you know what? I don't do it once. I do it repeatedly. I need to fix this. And Father, I can't fix it by myself. I need the power of your Holy Spirit because I've studied your word and now I know this is wrong. I've studied your word and now I know this doesn't please you. Or I've studied your word and I've been leaving this out of my life and it should be in my life. If you can't study the word and internalize the word and be honest about who you are as you stand before him, you can't make those courageous changes. See, if you can't make a courageous change with just you and him there in the room, then how will you go out into the world and make the changes you're going to have to make out there? in everyday situations when you truly have to think on your feet. But see, the time you spend lingering in his presence and saying, you know what, this is, this is what it is. I'm not proud of it because it is written in your word. I should be doing this. I should be thinking this way. I should be more forgiving. Uh, I should be less resentful. I should be more consistent. Uh, maybe I should be praying more. Maybe that's what the issue is. I'm not really measuring up to what the word says about daily prayer. That's okay. Take it to him. Even if you're working on something with him, you are still in his presence. And he says, your voice is sweet. When you repent, your voice is sweet. When you come in and say, I did it again. I cannot believe I did it again. I'm so sorry. I did it again. This is this is not making me happy. This is not making you happy. I did it again. And he says, you know what? That is a sweet voice to me. Because even though you made the mistake again, you're still measuring yourself against my word. And now you know how to change. You've got the courage to stand here and say, I did it. Help me. What did the man say to Yeshua? Help my unbelief. <laughs> I can't even believe right. Change my thinking. And no matter how many times, how many days, day after day after day, you have to go back in his presence and say, Father, help my unbelief, help my thinking. He will help you and your prayers will become more effective. So don't measure yourself in prayer against the way that you were yesterday. Measure yourself against the day you were saved. Measure yourself even earlier than that. Five years before you were saved, how were you acting? And then you were saved. And then you started learning to walk as a disciple. You learned how to remain in his presence because you realized your voice was sweet to him. Even when you had done some not so sweet things, you had to repent of. Look at the changes that have occurred. Don't ever measure yourself by yesterday. You'll be discouraged. You won't be fruitful. But he says, Elijah was just like you. A man who could make it stop raining and start raining for years was a man just like you. He was no different. But what does it say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. You learn what righteousness is, and you be courageous about praying according to that word. Now that you have his ear, 
Now that he has saved you, he has invited you into his presence without being perfect. He invited you into that presence. So take advantage of it. You're there. Know before whom you're standing when you pray. You know, there's a custom in Judaism when the Orthodox pray. They pray standing. They'll take three steps backward, get their hearts right, get their head on straight, make sure all the distractions are gone. And if there are distractions, mentally push them away, and then you take three steps forward into his presence. And nothing, unless it's life or death, <laughs> nothing disturbs you until you are done praying. And then symbolically, you take those three steps back again to say, well, I just had an audience with the king. I just was standing before the throne just right then. And it will change your life. It will make you more fruitful. It will develop that knowing and that relationship. Because you know what? With a friend, we can share when we did stupid stuff. We're not so comfortable sharing that with a stranger unless we're just strange people ourselves. <laughs> a total stranger shouldn't know your whole life story, okay? Don't, don't tell everything you know the first time you meet somebody. But in terms of the father, he wants to be your friend like Abraham. Yes, he's your judge. Yes, he's your king. But Abraham, he was a friend of God, which means he was pretty comfortable standing in his presence without being perfect. And that's really what pushed him to perfection, as much as you can be in this life without the resurrection of the body. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.